0: You know, some mornings you wake up and you're feeling a little off and the world just kind of loses its luster. Those days, I find it important to have around me reminders of how I am actually fortunate enough to live in the age of miracles and wonders. Think about it. In my pocket, I carry a supercomputer that does everything from act as my wake-up alarm in the morning to turn on my lights in the office, which is actually in my garage because I live in the era of working from home. And that uses electromagnetic waves broadcast in the air to connect me with the ever-growing repository of all human knowledge from any place at any time. We've gotten here over thousands of years because of makers, those amongst us whose relief valve is to imagine what the future can look like and then make the time and gather the resources to make it happen. Create something powerful like a network to share vast amounts of information with the world. Create something beautiful, like a new form of art that will mesmerize and inspire. Or build something vital, like a literacy or STEM education program that lifts people up so that they too may grow in the world they live in. Here's to the makers who can take a look at a pile of stuff and see possibilities. Who turn nothing into something that ultimately enriches all of us. (music) Kelly Cheadle is a materials and process maven who specializes in visual storytelling and innovation. She is the artistic director of Aragami, a creative firm that specializes in colossal, experiential, and dimensional illustrative projects built from modeling balloons. Along with her husband and partner, Larry Moss, she leads teams of artists and community volunteers to construct ephemeral installations that enchant diverse audiences of all ages. Their unique fine art and award winning illustration work has been showcased around the world. Hey, Kelly, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. Um, tell the audience a little bit about what you do.
1: Uh, well, what time is it? Because that answer varies based on <laughs> time of the day or week or month it is. But uh, right now, I am currently an artist. Um, I am a maker. I am a thinker. And when I go home, I'm a mom. Um, uh, I'm just someone who gets stuff done or gets lost in stuff that she should be getting done. So that, that's who I am.
0: <laughs> okay. You are the artistic director also for a company called Aragami. Yes. What does Aragami do?
1: So Aragami specializes in large-scale installations, fine art illustrations, and commercial uh, commercial illustrations, and stop-motion animation entirely out of balloons.
0: Oh, neat. You do stop-motion animation as well?
1: Oh, we do a little bit of everything. Generally, the origami stuff focuses around the balloons as the medium, but uh, we kind of see what happens and, and what we need to do. We've also played with food before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's kind of cool. So um, how big is a large-scale installation?
1: Ooh, the, the largest pieces that we've done can be as tall as 40 or 50 feet in height. Um, you know, at least that much and like, you know, talking like actually probably longer than that, uh, probably 60 feet tall now that I think about it. Wow. Um, and you know, like we filled up entire mall atriums with, uh, multi level sculptures. We've done, uh, quarter scale models of space shuttles. We've done <laughs> huge immersive installations. It, it really runs the gamut.
0: Very cool. These are all commercial contracts. Do you, do? I mean, I don't know. Does anybody do balloon art for the sake of doing balloon art?
1: <laughs> That's always hard to say. Um, most of the time we are hired by a company or a, uh, you know, maybe a civic group to create a piece. Okay. Uh, to get people excited and get them all together. Um, but sometimes there are pieces that are made, you know, out of love and inspiration versus just, you know, financial, you know paying the bills sort of thing. Yeah. Are,
0: are these all like, do you fill all these balloons with helium? Do you use just regular air? I mean, I guess explain a little bit about the, the art form itself and what it, what it's like. Cause I'm, you know, I've seen the, we take a bunch of balloons and we make an arch kind yeah. of thing, but yes. I, but I've, I've looked at your website and i have seen some of the really amazing stuff that you've got, uh, listed up there. And I'd love to understand the process a little bit more.
1: Yeah, this is this is going to be a, a bit of a challenge. I would suggest that you know after you're intrigued by this podcast that you go check out our, our website at aragami.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'll put it. No, it'll be it'll be I, in the uh, the show notes yeah. as well. So, I um,
1: so what we do is we create artwork using uh, primarily latex balloons, but occasionally we do use uh, foil balloons. I've actually been playing with those a bit. Um, And now I've sort of accidentally become a a bit of an industry expert in uh, modifying and manipulating foil balloons. (laughs) Um, But we combine multiple smaller balloons into uh, large scale sculptures. So a lot of um, it's almost it's similar in a way to basket weaving and fabric making um, and also garment making. Uh, the okay. way that we use the balloons, because you have to put together smaller pieces to make larger flat or curved panels that are then shaped into larger structures.
0: OK, so you have to have a little bit of architecture in your background, right? You have to understand how to build a building, right? Or how to at least build a structure.
1: Yeah, um, to, there was a lot of um, sewing and and cloth and, and soft sculpture in my background. It's kind of okay. funny. One of the first projects I started working on with my now husband, Larry, um, who's my partner, he started the business. He was doing um, large scale sculptures and, and other pieces for decades before I came along. God, that makes him sound really old. He's not that old. <laughs> Although I like to tell him he's that old, um, but he, uh, balloon dresses. I'm sure folks have seen some of those before. So this was like maybe a decade ago where balloon dresses were just starting to become a thing. And he got invited to a fashion show and was like, oh, Larry, we want you to make a balloon dress. And my husband, ever the nerd, um, like I can't do this without, you know, I don't have a fundamental understanding of how dresses are made. You know, like I need to know that first. I need to know how fabric moves. Um, But thankfully, since I had a little bit of that in my background, um, the two of us work together and, you know, recognize the the pieces and parts that go into making a dress and then how do you translate that into being made out of little tiny air-filled sausages um, yeah. still have it flow and move the way that a real dress would. So, so that's one of the first projects that we got to do. Most people start with a dog. I started with a ball gown.
0: <laughs> that's funny. That's fascinating. I, 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 as, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you have to build, you have to be able to build structures that can flow and move like cloth and then you also have to build structures that are so massively large that they have to be rigid enough to stand up, mm-hmm. right, on their own. And, um, you know, I don't know that I could come up with ways to do that. It's just it's just amazing to think about it and to think about building that kind of stuff and the creativity that goes into it. So
1: that's very the, cool. The nerd part of me loves that sort of thing because, I mean, you'd be surprised at how many places balloons show up in – you know, not necessarily the squeaky toy balloons, but like the, you know, inflated devices show up in our, um, in our lives and in our like scientific exploration, you know, it's great because they pack so small until you fill them with air. So they use balloon architecture or engineering on the space shuttle. They use balloon engineering to, you know, get to the little corners of your heart. Sometimes, you know, there's all sorts of things we do.
0: Yeah. You know, being a, I'm, I'm not a physical engineer, being a computer engineer, though, engineering is all about looking at a problem and then coming up with creative ways to solve it, right?
1: Mm. And whether
0: it's using physical laws or, or whatever, it's just figuring it out. And I, I just... I'm just imagining how much fun it is actually to walk into a room, look at the drawing of what you're trying to create and go, okay, now how the hell am I going to do this? And then experimenting around with different materials and, and all of that. So I, that's just truly awesome. Uh, do you work out of home or do you have like a warehouse kind of uh, thing? How do you, uh, how does the business run?
1: So we have a studio in downtown Rochester. It's about 3000 okay. square feet Okay, um, and it's divided out. Right now it's kind of a, (laughs) it's, it's been a year, so it's not as divided out as it was. (laughs) Okay. Um, but, uh, we've got a large area for building, uh, the big structures for photographing them, um, and doing some of that video work. And we've got an office area. And we also have a little bit of a maker space set up because a lot of what we do, you know, there, there's not really equipment for what we do. So we end up building a lot of the things that we need to make something happen.
0: Okay. So, here you are. You're in. You have your business. You're building these large balloon structures for events and things like that. And then, and then COVID came along and kind of shut <laughs> everything down. Um, did you? Do you have a? Uh, how many people work as part of your business? Is it just you and your husband, or do you have other people?
1: Currently, it's it's mostly my husband and myself, and we yeah. have some people that we're starting to bring back. Um, you know, from a purely selfish business. perspective. Perspective, you know, prior to COVID dropping in the U.S., um, you know, things were really, things were really going well. You know, yeah. like we had a full time assistant office manager. We had a full time, uh, or two, two part time office assistants, like just to help with general um, production and you know, following me around so that when I inevitably drop something that I'm in the middle of working <laughs> on, they put it away. Yeah. And they're not here anymore, which is really hard. Yeah. Um, Um,
0: did you have, so you had to shut the whole facility down? Did, did all of, was there still any, I guess, probably not. Was there any call for the product during the, the early parts of the pandemic?
1: Well, so as soon as we got word of the, you know, actually it was interesting. So we probably caught wind of something going on faster than, or at least the, the intensity of what was coming. We were more aware of sooner because we've got friends all over the globe who are in this job and their calendars were instantly emptied like we went from having an entirely full calendar for 2021 to having it completely empty in less than a week Mm -hmm. uh we had um and rightly so like i am not you know when it came down to this i was as soon as i i kind of like took a look at what was going on and understood even the beginnings of the scope of this i was just like shut it down Shut yeah. the whole damn thing down. Everybody stay in your house. And if we just all buckle down and do this, we'll be yeah. fine. But if we don't pay attention, we're going to be where yeah. we are now. <laughs> yeah. well,
0: certainly made it all take a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and what did you do during the course of the year to keep yourself, A, from going insane and just, you know, feeling yeah. useful?
1: So at first, once it got over the initial shock, it was like, okay, yeah. so what? what's next? Like, what's needed? Because, yeah. you know, yes, there's the... Thankfully, we have enough. Let's just say that so that that yeah. way, while this was terrible, it was not, um, you know, we, we still had a roof over our head and the food on our plate. Right. Uh, so once you have that, then you start looking outward and figuring out, well, at least for me, like, yeah, who, who needs what? Um, so, you know, seeing that there were shortages of masks, seeing that there were shortages of PPE um, and being a nerdy maker type person. Um and I think the the callous recommendation of a well a bandana I think yeah <laughs> not yeah. a bandana if you don't have anything else it was like yeah that I think that was a call to arms for a, a lot of maker type people so I started you know designing simple to sew masks and also simple to no sew masks so that that way people had something to cover their faces with that was you know slightly better than a bandana um, okay. the other thing I did was I I recognized that uh, you know part of the work that we do, you know, it's not just building a giant thing out of balloons. It's really about um, creating wonder and getting people together and recognizing that that was the exact opposite of what we needed at the time. But we still, as humans, need that connection. So it was trying to figure out what are ways that we can stay connected together, but separately. Um, So I I made a little online anti-social art show where (laughs) I encouraged people to stay at home. And this was at the very beginning, too. Um, And use whatever art supplies you happen to have on hand to make something and then share it with a hashtag and we'll all make something together, but separately. (laughs) That's Um, cool. Yeah, which is cool. We got like 400 at least entries last count. Um, So that was kind of fun. And then we also did a, um, I made a little sheet that someone could print out that had, it was just like a little Hey Neighbor card. Because, you know, how often, I mean, there's some folks live in neighborhoods where everybody knows everybody and their kids are all playing in the backyard but not everybody does and so uh, the little card was a little mad lib that somebody could fill and be like hi my name is kelly i live next door at 123 main street you know if here here's my phone number if you need anything call i can go you know run an errand or whatever and then that way it's not like it kind of takes some of that awkwardness of like hi i've lived next to you for five years but we (laughs) haven't said anything yeah that's (laughs)
0: my uh that's my world I grew up in I grew up in New York City, so I lived in an apartment building complex of like, you know, four six story buildings. And Mm -hmm. I knew people on I knew like maybe 15 of the neighbors Mm -hmm. (laughs) out of all of it my entire time growing up. It was just the way it was. So I like that. I like that idea. Uh, So how many masks did you wind up? Did you produce masks or did you just produce plans for masks?
1: Well, so (laughs) here we are now. Um, So I am more I think the way that my brain works, I'm more focused on coming up with a design and coming yeah. up or, or reproducible design, not necessarily in the production. So yeah. my, you know, job that I, I, I took on was designing the a mask that had you know pretty comprehensive coverage. There were several masks actually. One that yeah. had pretty comprehensive coverage that was a sewn piece, um, and I worked with a couple people across the country just virtually designing that and testing that out. Yeah. Um, then I worked on a mask that had a clear panel in it because I thought the next thing that was going to come up was that people didn't have the ability to see each other's emotions or let alone lip read. My,
0: yeah, my, my wife, Dara, who introduced us, um, is uh, hard of hearing. She has bilateral hearing aids. So yes, we there have been many, many occasions in the last year where we really wished that um, the clear masks were more widely available.
1: Yeah, So and then the latest version of that was actually a... Um, a vacuum formed uh mask that we've been in designing over the last year from okay. that until, um, which now is you know ready for production even though the you know some folks keep saying oh well, you, you know we don't need them anymore i'm like you know there are still people who would benefit from being yeah. able to have a clear mask in situations where you need to have a you know a surgical mask so
0: yeah
1: uh, we're still going forward with that little be clear yeah.
0: I mean, it may be quieting down here in the States, but there are there's a lot of the rest of the world that's still in pretty serious trouble right now that right. that we need to continue to help.
1: Well, and in other situations, you know, there there are times where you, prior to COVID, where you would be in a situation where someone would have a surgical mask on. Yeah. So rather than having to drop it down to, to communicate with you, you know, you'll yeah. we'd be able to access one of those. So sometimes yeah. be- it, Benefits of adversity. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it'd be great. It'd be great to see something like that show up in uh, in hospitals more as well, right? So that when you're talking to the doctor or the surgeon prior to the uh, the surgery, you know you can actually understand what they're saying more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm there's a part of me that deeply hopes that all of the crazy stigma in the country that came uh, on masks during this actually doesn't hold up in the long run and that we get to a place where if you're sick in the middle of flu season it's okay to break out a, a mask and wear it so that you don't give your flu to anybody else cuz um as a culture the way we work we have this tendency of not laying down and resting when we get sick mm-hmm. um and I know from my experience when you work in an office building with a constant recirculating air you know Patient one walks in and before you're done, the entire building has gotten ill. So um, I, I love, you know, the idea of what like the Japanese and other Asian cultures did where they figured it's a courtesy to wear a mask by default when you're not feeling well. Um, I would love to see that take place here. If we can get the people who thought masks were a political thing to, you know, kind of get their act together and realize it's not.
1: Well, we had a 98% reduction in seasonal flu last year. Yeah. They directly attribute to yeah. the use of masks. So like that's thousands of people that we still, well, theoretically have mm-hmm. did not succumb to the flu and children that did not succumb to the flu. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's such a silly, simple thing to do. It, there's yeah. no need to politicize it. It's just like, you know, we wear seatbelts now. Get yeah. over it. You know? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, Rochester is a, um, a small uh small city north of new york city right in new york state Mm -hmm. uh how how has all of this played out there what's the experience been like in a smaller city like that
1: um i think the it's it's so interesting to kind of look back at it now you know i I don't want to say post-covid we're still you know again it's this this sort of this plateau this lull like it's wonderful to see those numbers from the local health department going down and down and staying down because people are getting vaccinated like that fantastic there's still the part of me that played pandemic inc that play you know did all sorts of like nerdy stuff in high school where you know you saw how easy it was to transmit something and i'm like i'm just waiting for and i know this is like the anxious part of me i'm just waiting for a variant that's able to supersede a, a thing to kind yeah. of force back into things, but, um, that's my own personal. <laughs> I'm, concern.
0: I, am i i I play the same scenarios in my head. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll have a good summer and I'm worried about the fall again, to be honest. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Cause that, yeah. that would honestly, that would be, well, that would be terrible humanity wise. Yeah. Um, business wise, you know, another, another big hit like that would spell the end for a, a lot of businesses because at that point it's going to be like nope i've played this game i hustled the entire year and i'm not doing it again
0: yeah yeah i'm yes you're absolutely right i'm my biggest fear is if we do have another serious uptick we will not be able to shut things down the way we did and and lock down people just won't do it and so we'll start to see a greater um hit on life and and people's health you know and a lot of in in my opinion a lot of the, the shutdown and the, the extreme preparations that we had to do over the course of the last year were guided towards protecting the medical system, right? Because we had hospitals that just didn't have enough mm-hmm. excess capacity to support this kind of a surge. And um, we still don't, right? We haven't solved that problem. And I don't know if we ever will, because that involves throwing money at something that doesn't necessarily, it's like an insurance policy, right? It doesn't return anything until you absolutely need it. But you want to go through your entire life without ever having to need it you know what i mean
1: it it's i mean yes and no you know that i was just watching an interview with with john stewart and he was he was lamenting that you know we weren't uh he was hoping that like the 1918 flu pandemic that there was something that uh you know people had they had suggested back then that, that was different than, than what we suggest now. Then so he can like blame it on, on that, that we haven't learned anything. Yeah. If anything, the science is there. We understand the things you can do to prevent this. Like the things yeah. that you do to prevent this costs a dollar.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely. It, it doesn't cost like thousands of dollars in, in hospital infrastructure. It, it's the prevention. Once you, once it's out, yeah. that's like, the most foolish way to fix anything. Like, do you yeah. let the toddler run around with the paints or do you put yeah. the paints away? Yeah, you're like, a-
0: absolutely <laughs> absolutely right. Absolutely right. If if people had just said, Yeah, you know what, I'm gonna grab that paper mask and I'm gonna wear it. And if everybody had done that right from the very beginning, this would have been a totally different play out. But do you think people have learned enough and got I mean, the country's a little crazy right now. A little I, crazy. It's I a lot I crazy. I don't, don't
1: wanna I don't wanna play into that meme okay like yes and no all at the same time i think i think people i think a person is smart i think people are dumb (laughs) like when it comes down to it because if if you can connect to people on an individual level yeah and you can convey the idea that this is not a political thing this is a human thing like hey There's this thing that could, if it doesn't kill you, make you feel really crappy for a few weeks and make it really hard for your family. And it's really catchy. And it's actually really simple for us not to be inconvenienced for a really long time if we all just kind of do the same thing at the same time. Like, look at New Zealand. Look at New Zealand. Uh, I know. I love her.
0: Yeah. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've, been, um, I've been preaching masks from the very beginning in, in my, my monologues up front at the start of the podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I'm, oh, oh, so I live in Redondo Beach, California, which mm-hmm. is uh, sort of one of us kind of southern inside suburbs of uh, L.A. I mean, L.A. is this massive city that's basically totally unlike any other city on the east. Mm-hmm. which is a hub and hub and spoke kind of thing. We're just massive spread. And uh, some of the neighboring cities here uh, by the beach and some of the ones that are just to the south of us in like Orange County had this big, weird political reaction to masks. Like it was their freedom was being infringed upon because they had to wear them. And it was incredibly frustrating because you just want to look at them and go no it's it's you know it's common sense and it's common courtesy if i have a disease that passes through my spit and i spit on you all the time there's a really good chance you're going to get sick right but if i wear something that covers me from spitting on you and you do the same for me we're not going to get sick are we um that's not a freedom issue that's a common sense issue but i uh, it's been living in a a community like L.A., which is both very liberal on one side and very conservative, ultra-right in other parts, and watching the conflict every day in the middle of the street as like heads batting against each other has been, from a political science perspective, fascinating to see people behave this way. And it's incredibly frustrating when you know that this is going to keep you locked in your house for another three months. Right. We had, we had a spike here that was pretty severe early on. Right. Not as severe as New York city did, but around the same time LA County had a very big spike and then things quieted down during the summer. And I'm looking around going, okay, if we behave ourselves, we might get through this. And then it was, okay let's all get together on the beach and okay let's start getting on airplanes and let's t- and and sure enough the end of 2020 beginning of 2021 was as bad as it could possibly be right it was that refrigerated trucks behind the the hospitals kind of situation in la county and it was totally preventable right you, anybody who was paying attention to it was sitting there going it didn't have to be this way we
1: yeah, all we I had didn't. to do was
0: behave
1: these are the fruits that we we've reaped the, the seeds that we've planted you know like yeah a pandemic should never be politicized yeah from the get-go so yeah. that that i mean if you wanted to go through on monday morning quarterback this i could tell you a thousand points where we could have done better yeah um, i hope my hope is that god i hope everybody's at least learned something you know whether it's yeah it's part of it was you know It was a a changing target. Part of it was trying to maintain access to the higher level of protection for medical staff that was going to be up close and personal with it versus people that have a hoarding mentality. Um, It it speaks to a lot of the – it, like, pushed all of the buttons that America has when it comes to the things that we – fight with our, our personal challenges or, or, you know, yeah. challenges in the U S with the way that our, our fabulous individual mindset goes, yeah. these are yeah. the things that we don't excel at because we are very much driven by this, you know, the, the sense of self as the individual, the, you know, yeah. I can, I can do the thing myself. And it's like a pandemic is the exact opposite where like my safety is completely reliant upon your willingness to cooperate
0: yeah so that brings me a little bit back to where this trail started so you live in a smaller city is there a tighter community there that responded differently and was more um together or did you have the same kind of separation and and borderline craziness we saw in places like los angeles and maybe new york city
1: i think I think it probably brought out the best and worst in people there. I can, I can point the things that I would point to are the, are the positive ones because that's the one that I thankfully am surrounded by. Yeah. Um, we had a pretty decent mutual aid network to begin with. Okay. You know, as far as like people who are looking out for each other um, you know, Rochester's considered quote unquote, one of the rust belt cities. So okay. we've been hit by um, you know, economic challenges for decades now because our, you know, the, the city was centered on three or four very large corporations that have since disinvested in our community. Right. So the only way we've gotten through that is with each other and okay. being scrappy and being smart. Um, that's not to say that everybody's perfect and everybody did all the things right. But like the mutual aid groups that I've seen here in Rochester, everybody from like building little corner food cupboards to um setting up facebook pages for like hey i've got diagnosed with covid can somebody please go run and get us groceries because i don't want to go out and and groceries show up so you know a recognition of um the need for taking care of each other if if that's the thing that we've learned or that that's the thing that has grown because of this yeah that's wonderful
0: uh, what I found from talking to people over the course of the last year is that it's been a it's actually been an eye-opening experience because living in in a big city and always having lived my entire life in a big city my perspective is very much skewed towards that way of thinking and yet what I've found is every time I talk to somebody who comes from a smaller community whether it's in the US or it's even I've spoken to folks in France um, who, you know, they're not in Paris, they're, you know, two hours south of Paris in the, uh, in the French countryside. Um, the, the little communities did better through this because they're already close, right? Everybody is already used to living in a world where you know your neighbors and you take care of each other, and it's much more personal. And I think one of the challenges of the country that I hope we learn from is a lot of the media and a lot of the decision makers don't come from that environment. They live in the big cities, right? That have the big problems. And so uh, somebody who lives in a, a, you know, 30 miles South of Sacramento in California can deal with the rules to the pandemic differently than people who live in a County that has 40 million people in it. Right. They, they, they don't have to be mandated to wear a mask all the time. They know when it's the right time to do it because most of the time they're not coming into contact with other people. And 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 so one of the things I've learned just from talking to people in the last year is that having a, a, a I, I don't want to play into any of the political memes, right? But I'll use the term coastal elite perspective because I live in one of the big cities on the coast mm-hmm. is not the way to be. We have to be open and listening to everybody, right? That doesn't mean I want to be you know, on the other side of the spectrum, I, I, I tend to try to ride in the middle, but I've definitely learned that just because we have to do things a certain way here in a place like Los Angeles in order to get through doesn't mean that same rule has to be slammed on the guys who are living in, you know, the Central Valley of California. They have a different life and a different way of contact with each other. And just because they're doing it differently doesn't mean it's wrong. And so
1: I think you've yeah. got an interesting point there, because it, it really comes down to, I mean, You know like i was saying here in rochester there are for as much as we are one community we are an assemblage of of multiple communities that overlap um and because of that forced resiliency that we've had to develop because we've been disinvested from uh that's that residual skill remains so when you've got an environment where you know you can dial up what you need with your you know your amex card and a phone yeah that system breaks down because the people that generally provide that aren't able to. So much for your Amex card. That's not going to yeah. get you what you need when you need it. Um, yeah. yeah. So if it's, I think recognizing, you know, so if if I were at the upper levels of government that were were figuring this stuff out, I think there definitely needs to be a deeper appreciation for the need to customize um, approaches locally. Mm-hmm but also making sure that the science is supported even yeah. if it's interpreted slightly differently uh, yeah. you know do you do you meet the same goals in your area because obviously you know in in new york like there and i guess the, a willingness for the the public oh god this gets into a whole like science scientific literacy like <laughs> <laughs> i had tried but um you know information as it comes like this was a a, a situation where information was either unavailable or the latest information might contradict what was previously stated yeah that has to be okay
0: yes you're absolutely right
1: and 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 it's not that we were wrong necessarily it's that we didn't know yeah and now we have a better answer and aren't you glad you have a better answer now so You can be frustrated that you had to wear a mask in this scenario or you had to wash your hands for 20 seconds in this scenario and now you don't have to but really you probably should be washing your hands. Yeah. But you know, like, yeah. Let's let's kind of go with like folks having the best of intent. Yeah. Um, you know yes. and, and and go from
0: there. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So are things getting better? Have things started to turn around for you guys? Um
1: yeah, it's it's been interesting cuz like a lot of so we've been hustling the whole time. That's, that's probably the biggest complaint that I have is that like at some point it would be nice to take a break. Yeah. But I don't know that I'm going to be able to afford myself the break that I need slash deserve slash whatever, because you know, there's this push to catch up or, or not yeah. to ground that I fought so hard to hold on to.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so one of the things that we started working on over the pandemic was working on, um, you know, creative content that was delivered online. So we started working on a project um, called read along road, which is basically an educational program so that that way, you know, so one of the challenges that's not just in Rochester, it's across, you know, the whole entire country is uh, literacy. Yeah. Uh, And in in New York, I think I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the numbers if I try and quote them. But like, I think uh, to be considered Actually, I'm going to look those up after and I'll, and I'll give them to you. But basically, okay. that uh, over 60% of people in Rochester over the age of 16 are not are, are barely reading at a literate level, literal, or oh, barely wow. reading at a um, basic level of literacy. So we have to make sure that kids have access to um, reading content. You know, like the, yeah. the parents don't have the ability to read a storybook to their kids comfortably um their kids aren't being read to so it's like a sort of perpetuating challenge so um and we've got lots of folks that we work with who are entertainers and storytellers so we're using their skills combined with our video and our animation skills to create content that um you know has somebody read you a story you know online on your phone so like when the kids you know are, are able to tune into something there's some some good quality content for them to to read
0: that's cool. Is that a, I mean, maybe off topic a little, is that an extension of the education system not doing what it's supposed to do? Or is that a change in the way we ingest things, right? Is it because we watch TV now and don't read books? Is it, or is it because? I think the most just faceted
1: challenge. On? Literacy is, um, you know, I am a privileged white woman who came oh. from privileged family. Like my, yeah. I, I mean, my grandfather was a tool and die maker. He, he, Gradu- he got a he didn't graduate high school he got a GED um, yeah. he obviously was able to read uh, yeah. but he made sure his you know he made sure but he also had the resources to make sure that yeah. all of his children went to college so like I was read to all the time as a child so I, yeah. I like I was reading at three
0: mm-hmm.
1: that alone the exposure to language the exposure to vocabulary that I had is so much greater Than what's available to someone that grew up down the street who didn't have access to those words. So how do you, how do you level a playing field when I've been playing since I was three? Yeah, that's not fair. And then the, my kids, you know, I've given them that leg up. So like, um, we've got to make sure that folks have access to words, then they can do whatever they want with those words.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Um, how are you feeling about the next six months?
1: Curious. Yeah, I mean optimistic ex- curious optimistic and exhausted. <laughs> okay. Um yeah. I I'm curious to see, you know, where the business goes. I'm curious to see you know, like right now it's the sort of like all right, now we can go back to work. What do we want work to look like now? Now yeah. that we're not hustling, what do we want to do? Yeah. Um and is it the same thing that we wanted to do in January of 2020, you know? Yeah and so what does this life look like
0: that's that's very interesting i i'm going through some of that myself in my world uh mostly because i'm i'm historically i'm a i show up at the office i work my 50 hour week sitting in an office somewhere and then i come home and and that's where i try to do my separation between work and my personal life and now i work in my garage Mm -hmm. right and i and um i'm fairly convinced that the company i am working for now will never reopen their offices again because they don't need to. Right. Um, and I'm wrestling internally with the, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, and I don't know whether that means I should be considering other opportunities or I should be figuring out how to adjust myself to get used to the idea. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, a it's, it's whatever the new normal is going to eventually fully develop out as is, um, an adventure so far—that's scary. With all the things that come with, you know, wandering into undiscovered country. Before um, we'll have to see what comes out of it.
1: Well, it's it. I think you know it's easy to point out all of the terrible things, uh, and it's to be like completely lost in the terrible things that happened during COVID, especially if you had um, either a terrible experience yourself, or lost a family member, or lost yeah. a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But when do you get the opportunity to just do a full stop, whether it was for like three days or not? um,
0: Yeah. Or
1: months or three, you know, and, you know, my heart goes out to the folks that are in essential. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. they haven't had a break. Yeah. And they were, they were kind of forced into work for the rest of us. Yeah. You know, at their own risk because they didn't have access to the means to kind of, you know, yeah. c- take yeah, care and- of families without it. So, like,
0: yeah.
1: how do we, but with that information, I also like it, it's also heartening to see, like, you know, these big chain stores and big chain restaurants are having to raise their yes. uh, their pay scales because people are, are saying, nope, I'm not yeah. doing. I'm not yeah. doing this. So, it, it's, it's like a general strike without a general strike. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's I, it's it. There is definitely something re- refreshing about seeing people stand up for themselves and saying, "I'm not going to just settle." And I and I hope that that movement takes and it continues. Right? I hope it doesn't get to a point where all of those people are then forced to go. But I have no choice now because it's either feed my family or take take the bad deal. Right? I hope and, we and can. And it's
1: interesting to see how how things like that the um you know the pandemic relief that was sent to families yeah. how that you know, that $300 can make such a huge difference in people's lives. Something that is still relatively small, quote unquote, um, you know, that means the difference between somebody saying, you know, their house or not, that means the difference, somebody having healthy food on their plate or not. And why are we not doing this in general? You know?
0: Yeah, I know the pandemic has been, um, I mean, it amplified the, the, the disparity more. I mean, you know, that disparity in this country has been there all along and it's been building and building and building probably for decades. Mm -hmm. But the last year has kind of put this giant magnifying glass over it and blown it up for the whole world to to see how really dramatic it is. Because you're absolutely right. If $300 in a week can make that much of a difference in your life, because so I was out of work for a long time during this. I had gotten laid off just before the holidays in 2019 and didn't find anything until March of 2021. I worked in the entertainment industry. And so once I got to the point where things were starting to open up again in 2020, the entertainment industry shut down because of, uh, cause of COVID. And, um, I know what it's like to be on unemployment. And for me anyway, it was always, uh, a long view to a cliff. You know, it was not a, well, I'm going to stay home because I'm getting an extra $300 and that makes my life better because for me it was always, well, okay, this will give me a little something to keep feeding the family for a couple of weeks longer once I go off the edge of the cliff and it runs out, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it was always going to run out. There's always an end to it. It's not like it's just, you know, hey, we're going to pay you now for the rest of your life. So don't worry about it.
1: I mean, I'm um, sitting on that $300 i no. economic investment in the local community. The yeah. people are not, the regular yeah. typical folks are not dragons. They don't yeah. sit on hordes of cash. If the money comes in, it's used to make their lives better, which yeah. is generally invested in their community. So like, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, all it was,
1: about it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. What can I be sure that the folks who listen to this know about places to go find your work? Mm-hmm. Um, the things that are important to you.
1: Sure. So there's a couple of places you can go online. So aigami.com. So that's mm-hmm. A-I-R-I-G-A-M-I. Kind of like mm-hmm. origami, but we make it with air. Uh, and that features all of our super fantastic giant sculptures made entirely out of balloons. Um, you can check us out on Instagram, on Facebook. We pretty much have, you know, slash aigami wherever.
0: And um, you do projects everywhere, right? We're not. You're not we, just in local...
1: Oh yeah, we go, we theoretically, we travel the globe making giant installations. I would love to come to your town and build something really cool. Get, you know, now that we can safely get folks together or once we're sure we can safely get folks together, I would love to build something big for, for you and actually even have people come together and, and build things together. Um, I think the, the, the magical thing about our work is, um, we create wonder. So we were talking all about how, you know, people are divided and people are frustrated with each other and they're not talking to each other. There is nothing like a giant sculpture. (laughs) People come together and stand around each other and point at it and go, Oh my gosh, do you see that thing right there? And it doesn't matter if that person is, you know, comes from one side of town or another, you're all united in wonder. And that's, that's the medium that I like working in is wonder. And then let's see, shameless self-promotion. Oh, you can go to readalongroad.com. Right. And we're right now we're looking for funding in order to kind of get that off the ground. Um, and you can see a sample of the, the work that we've created. We've got one video up there with, uh, Almeda Whitus, who is a, a, a treasure as far as, you know, storyteller performer, yeah. um, uh, you just, you just feel like grandma's reading to you on the couch and it's just a nice, warm, happy feeling. So if you guys can help us do that, that would be amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And and other than that, just be nice to each other and recognize we're all coming at this from a very different set of experiences and, and assets and deficits. And you know, I think we all just want to kind of be able to have dinner with our families and maybe some friends and relax every once in a while. And if we recognize that, maybe we'd get along better.
0: Yep. Good, <laughs> good, good way to go out. Kelly, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: No problem. And the, do you mind if I like, I, I, I pulled up the website with those numbers on the on the one thing, so that way I can sound like I know what the heck I'm talking about. Oh,
0: sure. No, go right ahead.
1: So yeah, so in the United States, it turns out that um, 68% of fourth graders read below grade level. So right here in New York State, uh, you know, anybody or not anybody, we've, uh, sorry, right here in New York State, um, you know, an adult reading at a fifth grade level is considered functionally illiterate. So in mm-hmm. Rochester, uh, 57% of our residents age 16 years and older read at a sixth grade level. So that's barely above functional literacy. And literacy is really the key to unlocking so many things from health and wellness and um development. It's everything.
0: Yeah, it is. It's everything. It's being able to uh, understand. Right. I mean, it's there's an irony in it. We live in we live in one of the most fascinating times for availability of information. Right. I mean, I carry a device in my pocket that gives me access to all of the collective knowledge of mankind for a millennia in theory, because we're collecting it all and putting it out. But people have to, A, be able to read it and, B, be able to digest it in a way so they can separate the wheat and the chaff, right? Know what. Well, Not only you know.
1: that, but how much information and how much knowledge are we missing out on because someone can't converse with us in yeah. that written format? You know, these yeah. are people that are not dumb. These are very smart people yeah. just can't read. So yeah. how do we make sure that everybody can?